Bava Basra, Perik Yud, Mishnah Zion, 10-7. This Mishnah has no fewer than five different topics, and it's actually broken up to four different Mishnahis in the Bavli's version of the Mishnahis, um, in the Gemara there. So uh, the first topic really has nothing to do with kind of anything. Uh, if anything, it's it's more connected to the previous Prakum we're talking about inheritance. Uh, the reason it's coming up here, perhaps, is because uh, in the previous mission we had said that the borrower who's lacking funds and therefore is in this you know, pickle with only a partial repayment, and is exposed with the possibly losing, possibly losing his uh, his receipt. So this mission will say other scenarios where another scenario where a person, if he is uh, lacking means, so since he doesn't have the money to do what he wants to do, then he has um, limited options and is exposed and to further loss. So here the mission says inside Shnei Achim, you have two brothers, Echad Ani veEchad Ashir. The one of them is poor and one of them is rich. And their father died and bequeathed to them either a merchatz, uh, that's like a, a like a hot what do you call it um, bathhouse, or beisabad is a is a press for oils, to, um, olives to make olive oil. So the the situation here is that the rich son wants to keep this asset you know, for his private use um, and share it with his brother. That's fine, but the point is not not more than that. Whereas the poor brother says, listen, I want to make this like a rental property. I want to monetize it. I'll rent out the press or I'll rent out the, the make a business out of the bathhouse because I need, I need the money. So who do we listen to? So it has to be a case where this particular bathhouse or Olive press is uh, too small to be divided into two halves. Of course, if you divide into two halves, then each one would take their own half and do what they want with it. But that's too. This is too small for that. I mean, normally the rule is once you have something which is uh, a resource that is hasn't got a din chaluka, it's too small to divide in half, and both halves remain, you know, um, economically viable. So then the rule is that uh, the one who wants to do the splitting can say good or agud. Listen, you have two options: either you buy it from me. Um, my half, or I'll buy your half from you. And that way, one of us remains the owner, only one of us, and uh, that's that's fair. That's how it normally works. The problem is you can't make the demand of good or good if you haven't got the money to buy out your partner, or in this case, your brother. And the poor brother doesn't have that uh, money, and therefore, he can't make that demand. So, therefore, says the Mishnah, the rule will be that however the resource was used before their father died, um, that's how it should continue. So if it was a private bathhouse or a private oil press, then it remains private amongst the boys. And if it was one that was rented out um, for commercial purposes, so then it can continue to be rented out for commercial purposes. So says the Mishnah, if in the past they had been used to produce rental income, so then they should continue to be rented out. And the proceeds they get from the rent should go to the middle, meaning divided between the two brothers, as is fair according to the laws of Yerusha. Let's call it 50-50, assuming there's no Bukhor here. However, Asan la Atzman, if they've been used for private purposes, and the Girsta here of Atzman, their purposes um, themselves is a little strange, but the Girsta in the Bavli, for example, in many Rishonim, is Asan la Atzmo, that he originally had used these things, meaning the bathhouse, or the or the um, oil press la'atzmo for his private use. So then hareha asher omer la'ani. So then they will not rent it out, and instead the r- richer brother can say to the poor one, kachlach avadim Listen, 
get your own slaves to fire up the furnaces and do the bathhouse, and you can use it for the bathhouse. Kachlach zesim, get yourself some olives. Uvo va'asem bebeisabad, you can then come and bring them and press them in the press. Meaning, listen, this is our private resource. You want to use it? Go right ahead. You can't afford it? That's not my problem. But the point is it's staying private. He's within his rights to do so because that's how it always was used in the past. Um, that'll be the din. Uh, just note the word, this is for the grammatical people, va'asem bebeisabad is not from the word like oset, like to do or make, but rather like kind of related to the word, let's say, in modern Hebrew, of isui, of massage, va'asem bebeisabad, it's like to, to press them uh, in the beisabad, in the olive press. Okay, period, like new paragraph, new Mishnah, we're going back to our topic of contract law here, and this part of the Mishnah has a very peculiar case. It says, what happens if you have a city where two residents of the city have the exact same name? And since in the time of the Mishnah, what was normal is simply to just put you know, refer to the person who's one party to a contract by his name and his father's name, so-and-so ben so-and-so, you know, Yosef ben Shimon. So then, uh, what do you do if there are two Yosef ben Shimons? So the short of the answer, and the short answer in the Mishnah is, yeah, that can bring up all sorts of problems. And a contract which is ambiguous where there's two possible people that have the same name, Yosef ben Shimon, from the same town, it's not really enforceable, we'll say the Mishnah. So you're sort of stuck. Um, and therefore, what you should do is you should add a... a, a, a more details to the name so you can know which Yosef and Shim we're talking about and therefore avoid these problems. Says the mission inside, Shnaim Shahayu Birachas. There are two guys living in the same city, Shem Echad Yosef and Shimon, Mr. A's name is Yosef and Shimon, Vashem Acher Yosef and Shimon, Mr. B's name is also Yosef and Shimon. So now what what happens next? So if we're talking about a scenario where Mr. A lent money to Mr. Mr. B or vice versa, so the sad truth is that that the lender will not be able to collect from the borrower because the contract he says says Yosef and Shimon will pay back Yosef and Shimon, but whoever is being claimed against can say, "What are you talking about? I'm the lender, not the borrower." He can deflect, and since the Mishnah, since the contract doesn't say anything to the contrary, that's going to stand in the bezdin. What could you do? That's what the Mishnah says. Mister A, Yosef and Shimon can't bring out a an IOU against. Mr. B, Yosef and Shimon, enforced in court because there's no proof that it was him. Again, we're assuming, of course, that the the borrower is being a crook here, perhaps, but maybe it's, you know, the, the supposed uh, lender is actually being the crook. Who knows? Um, but the point is that they're, they're fighting. And, they, of course, they could pay if they wanted, but they don't want to. And similarly, we haven't got witnesses that can confirm who it is and the like. Fine. Okay. Um, second of all, Nimtza le'echad ben shterosav, if if some guy, a third party, he looks in his you know his drawer and he finds a star, and the star says the, the contract that he finds in his drawer says Staro shall Yosef ben Shimon Parua, the loan that I had out to Yosef ben Shimon that's been repaid. The problem is that our guy, a third party here, actually made two loans to each of the two Yosef ben Shimons, and now he found a note to himself that confirms that one of them repaid. He doesn't know which one it was, so therefore. Um, Staros Shnehen Parun. He has to treat both of the loans as if they've been repaid, because he can't. I don't want to say just in good conscience. He can't, according to the letter of the law, enforce one contract because it's wrong, right? Because maybe the person he tries to collect from already paid once before. Again, we're talking about a case where he doesn't know. He doesn't remember who was the actual person repaid. So he has to err to sign of caution. He can't collect unlawfully, and therefore connects, collects from neither. So now says uh, the Mishnah. Further, 
So what should these guys do? Like how do you deal with the situation where the two guys have the same name in the same town? So Yishaleshu, which means something like you should triple them up, which means don't just use two names, Yosef ben Shimon, but do Yosef ben Shimon and then the father's name, Yosef ben Shimon, meaning the paternal grandfather of Yosef, Yosef ben Shimon ben Yaakov. Okay? Vimhayu Mishulashim. What happens if these guys are, so to speak, I'll translate it as triplets, for lack of a better term, meaning both of these two guys, A and B, both have the exact same name. Yosef was his name, both of them. Their father's name was Shimon, and their grandfather, their paternal grandfather's name was Yaakov. So then what do you do? So then, Yichtavu Simon, then you describe them. You say, you know, it's the Yosef ben Shimon with the big nose, the short one, and that kind of thing. What happens if they both are short? <laughs> and they both have big noses or whatever it is. So therefore, what you do? Yichtavu Cohen, then you have to do something else like what tribe they're from, Cohen. Uh, or if you don't have that, then you go to, like, say, a fourth generation back. That's even worse, of course, because not everyone knows who their great grandparents, great great grandparents even were, who their great grandparents even were. Um, but in any case, the point is you got to do it your best if you can. If you don't, then you're stuck with an unenforceable contract. Of course, nowadays, this just simply wouldn't happen because people use unique identifiers like a two dots, hood, social security number, and the like um, to confirm which of the two we're talking about. Okay. Now, the next part of the Mishnah, which is like a new Mishnah in the, the Bavli, says um, you have a person, let's say he's like on his deathbed, and he tells his son, Ha'omer Levano, Shtar ben Shtarosai Parua. He says, listen, I have a drawer which has a bunch of IOUs, but listen, kid, one of those 10 IOUs has already been repaid. And that's that's all he says, because Ve'en Yodea Ezehu, I just don't know which of the 10 it was, says the father to the son. So now the son, even though he has nine live IOUs, he can't enforce any of them because he doesn't know which one was repaid and he doesn't want to essentially steal from somebody and therefore anybody who doesn't volunteer to repay, he shouldn't, he cannot collect a second time or collect on a contract because it might be a second time. And therefore, it says the Mishnah, he has to treat all of them as shtaras kulan peruin as if all the contracts have been repaid. Now, if nimtza le'echad sham shnaim, if amongst the documents he sees there's a particular borrower who borrowed twice. You know, he borrowed $50 one week and borrowed $100 the second week. There are two IOUs. In that case, of course, since the father said one has been repaid, that means only one has been repaid, not the other one. So what should he do? Says the Mishnah, Hagadol Parua, the son, should assume that the larger debt has been repaid. I'll call that the best case scenario for the from the borrower. The hundred, we'll call it. Vakatan Eno Parua, and assume that the lesser one, we'll call it the 50, um, was not repaid. So at least he can collect on the 50. He can't collect the 100 because maybe it was repaid, but the 50 he could. And again, obviously, if the borrower says, no, I never repaid it, then the borrower could pay what he owes. Okay, good. Now, new, we'll call it new topic altogether, new Mishnah and the Bavli again. Here we're talking about um, an Arev. An Arev is a guarantor on a loan. Okay? So the basic guarantor on a loan basically says that Reuven and Shimon want to, Shimon wants to borrow money from Reuven. Reuven's afraid that Shimon won't pay him back. So there's a third person, you know, uh, Warren Buffett, the rich neighbor, and they say, listen, Warren, if you, Reuven says, Warren, if you agree to make good on the loan, if Shimon defaults, that'll end him. And Warren says, yeah, you know, if Shimon doesn't pay you back, I will. Okay, so that's a classic Arev, if you were into the contract as such. So in that scenario, the Mishnah says, Hamalves chavero ali de Arev. If Reuven lends money to Shimon, um, and there's an Arev, good old Warren, who is the, you know, who's the guarantor. Lo para mina arev, you're not allowed, 
the lender is not allowed to go demanding money back from the Arev. That's all the Mishnah says. But what it means is um, before he sort of exhausts his legal rights against Shimon the borrower. So we can't just like say, listen, Warren, Shimon's not paying me and I'm just too lazy to deal with it. You have to pay me now. No, Warren can say, listen, I don't want to pay you. Take Shimon to Bezdin if he won't pay you. Let the courts try to get him to pay. And if Shimon, you know, is found guilty in the courts and he still refuses after that, so then, okay, then, of course, I'll, I'm the Arab, I'll have to pay. But you have to exhaust your possibilities by taking him to Bezdin, getting a judgment against him first. Okay. Now, Ve'im um, Amar, and if on the, the lender says at the time he's making the loan, I'm going to lend to Shimon the borrower, Amanas she'epara memisha erza that on condition that I can get paid back from whoever I choose, whether it be the the borrower or the Arev. So then, says the Mishnah, Yipara minha Arev. So then indeed, um, the lender can get money back from the Arev. They can get demand repayment back from the guarantor, even before or without needing to take the borrower to Bezdin. So what happens is, of course, First, um, the lender has to ask the borrower to make good on the loan. Um, if the borrower basically says no, or just, you know, I, I can't or I won't. So then we don't require, if the loan was made in this way, that he said, I'm Misha so then he doesn't need to take him to Bezdin anymore. He, the lender, can just skip the Bezdin step of the borrower and say, I'm not dealing with this guy, he's a crook. Go straight to the Art of Warren and say, Warren, your buddy, the borrower, is just not paying me back. You have to pay me now. And that will be, yes, that will be, now. he'd have to pay. Now, the Mishnah has missing words, by which I mean, I'll show you later on how you can see there are some missing words, explicitly in our Mishnah. But the point is, our Gemara says, there's a chasuri mechzera, excuse me, chasuri mechzera. There are words that are missing. Bahachitani, you should like impute, insert these words into the Mishnah to make it make sense. And this is a whole other shita. We'll call it the, the shita of the Tanakama, because the next words of the Mishnah talk about Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, who's arguing with the Tanakama, okay? So, the missing words say, When is it true that if the lender says, that I want to get paid from either of you as I choose, so then he doesn't need to um, take the borrower to Bezdin? That's, that's assuming that there's no other real assets that are known um, to the borrower from which the lender could collect. In other words, when a person, we've seen this already numerous times, when a person makes a loan, so the borrower, whatever real assets he has, real assets mean his land, anything attached to land, so land and buildings on the land, like an apartment, you know, or a home or a farm. So uh, those things automatically become encumbered. They get like a lien, like a bank mortgage, and they stand, so to speak, as guarantors on the on the uh, on the loan, such that they refer to throughout Kol Terkula as nechasim sheyeshlem achrayas. They're assets that have the stand responsible for default on the loan. Meaning that uh, even if the borrower, after borrowing the money, sells it to a third party, if the borrower doesn't pay back his loan, the lender can go to the third party and say, "Listen, you bought that house from my borrower, right? I made the loan before you bought it. You should have." Check the you know done title search and check and see that you never knows that I had this contract out and there was an encumbered as a lien on that property and I have to be made whole from your property. So that is true. We can do that in general. So our mission here is saying that while 
if the lender says, Almanashe Paramamisha Eretzai, want to get paid back from either the borrower or the the Arev, the guarantor, so then he can go to the guarantor without taking the borrower to Bezdin. That's true, but that is only true. Bemidavarmurum says the missing words. That's only true when the borrower has no other real assets that would stand to guarantee the loan. But the real assets are like a guarantor that, so to speak, stand in front of the the warren, the actual human guarantor. And therefore, says the Tanakama, in such a scenario where the borrower is not paying back the loan, the first port of call, even if he says, Almanashe Paramisha I'm paying back from either one of you, the lender still has to go first to try to collect the, from the real estate that is encumbered, that used to belong to the borrower, before he goes and demands money back from Arv, the human Arv, you know, warren, the guarantor. Okay. Um, but, um, however, if if he has, the borrower has properties, then the guarantor doesn't need to uh, pay if until the lender first tries to get out his money back from the encumbered properties. But further, missing words, a new topic, if the Arav is called an Arav Kablan, it's a new term of art, Arav Kablan is somebody who doesn't just say, you know, Warren doesn't just say to Reuven, lend my buddy Shimon money, and if he doesn't pay you back, I will. He says, lend my buddy Shimon money, and I will pay you back. Okay? Not if he doesn't pay you back, but I'll reimburse you. So that's like more like he's like a, almost like a second borrower, or co-equal borrower. So if he's a Kablan, meaning Arev Kablan, but he made himself like a co-borrower, so to speak. So then, says Tanakama, even if the borrower has other assets, other real assets, if the, as a kablan, art of kablan, so then if the borrower won't pay, then the lender can go straight to the art of, and not even have to deal with trying to extract um, value from his old properties. He doesn't want to deal with that. He says, I don't want to deal with that, so he doesn't have to deal with that. Now, that's fine, says Tanakama, but Rabbi Shimon Galil Omer, Im yesh nechasim lelova. says no. If the borrower has assets, then even if ben kach or ben kach, whether the arav was a generic arav who says lend to my friend Shimon, if he doesn't pay you, then I will pay you, or if he is an arav kablan, basically saying lend to him and I will reimburse you. E- either way, lo um, yipara, the loan should not be repaid back, meaning from the borrower to the lender. Minha arav from the pocket of the guarantor, Gudel Warren, unless first the borrower is taken to court. That's Ramashim Wheel's opinion. And like on a related topic, it's not the same, but a related idea. Now we're, talking, we're shifting over to Kusubas Isha here. V'chein, the same kind of principle applied. Higher Ramashim Gamliel, the same Ramashim Gamliel. He said, Omer, if you have... You have a man who stood as a guarantor for a woman's ksuba. So here you have, you know, uh, uh, you know, Reuven is marrying Leah, and uh, and uh, Leah is afraid to get married because Reuven is not a person of means. So she says, "How do I know you're going to pay me back? Pay me my ksuba in the event that you divorced me?" So Reuven gets his friend Warren to underwrite to guarantee as an arv on the ksuba, so that Leah can know if Reuven doesn't pay her ksuba, then Warren will. So if Warren stands to be an Arav on the Ksuba, so then that's of course going to work. But if they try to pull this off and um, 
Megarsha, if Reuven indeed is going to divorce Leah. So before he can collect from, from Warren, which we said in the previous line of the Mishnah, he could collect from Warren right away, right? Because of the Warren's acting as a, certainly was acting as a Arab Kavlan, he could right away. Um, but if, if Reuven isn't, if, uh, if Reuven isn't paying, Leah, I don't know if I said before, Leah can go to Warren right away. But first, says the Mishnah, Yadirena Hana'a, she, Leah has to take a vow, a neder, against getting any future Hana from her ex-husband, uh, Reuven. Okay? And this is not just any kind of neder, it's like a neder, a heavy-duty neder, the kind that, the symbol, it's like the kind that a single, a single, uh, even expert dying can't, can't annul. It has to be like a heavy one, it's called Aldas Rabm. Which require like a formal bezin to annul it if it would come to annulment, um, because Shema Yaasu Kanunya. We're afraid that Leah and Reuven are pulling off a Kanunya. Kanunya is like a scheme, like they're colluding, uh, you know, to make some kind of trick. Okay, and we're afraid of collusion. Meaning, um, what was the trick? The trick was Reuven says to Leah, "Listen, we can get rich. My buddy Warren's super rich. Let me divorce you." Then I won't pay you back. You'll then get the money from Warren, and then you and I will fly. We'll get remarried and fly off to Tahiti, and we'll be rich off Warren's back. So that's the kanunya, okay? That's the the little. The, there's some sort of like a the collusion, the trick, um, <clears throat> conspiracy. But uh, the rabbi said we can prevent that from happening by forcing Leah to make a neder ahead of time that she won't get benefit from Reuven, which would mean they can't get married ever again. So that would stop the kanunya. Would stop this. You know this. Uh, Conspiracy. So says the mission inside. Shema Yasu Kanunya. We're afraid without the the nether that that uh, Reuven and Leah are pulling off some kind of collusion. Kanunya al to suck out money from Warren the guarantor, and then after they get the money from him, v'yachzir es ishto. Then Reuven will take his wife Leah back, remarry her, and they'll be richer and right off into the sunset. Now, of course. Uh, even as a guarantor, and Warren has to pay, Warren could still sue Reuven to get the money back. But that doesn't mean Reuven will pay him back. Reuven and Leah could go off to Tahiti, and then Warren is left, you know, high and dry without a way to collect the money that Reuven essentially, you know, contrived to steal from him.